Well, happy Easter, Easter, you guys. Let's see how many of you remember this. He is risen. Okay. All right. So if you're like, is that a thing that we say? That's what you say on Easter. Okay. So let's try it again. He is risen. All right. This is good news. We're excited. I'm excited. I'll be excited for you. I don't know if you're just like, it's Easter, y'all. Like the most amazing thing in the history of the entire universe happened today, and that is what we're celebrating. And so speaking of uh, Jesus bringing death to life, I want to share a story. That's just the theme. You know, I'm just going to kind of spoiler alert. Jesus brings death to life, okay? He turns death into life. And so speaking of bringing death into life, when I was a little kid in the mid-90s, uh, there was a toy that swept not just the nation, the entire globe, and that, were, that was Tamagotchi pets. Anybody remember? Uh, okay, uh, this is what they look like. Um, I was doing some research on this as I was reflecting on my childhood. Uh, 1996, is, I think, is when they came out. They swept the entire world. I had a dark green one, and I don't know why I thought this was a thing, but basically what you did was like you would like feed it and pet it and take care of it somehow on these little like black and white you know, screens, um, and if you didn't, it would die. You know, and so uh, there was this thing uh, they found apparently like the first two years of it, it was like kind of hard to keep alive. And so kids were playing with it constantly. And so they were playing with it in schools and like their breaks. And so there was like these articles written about the dangers of it and how you know people could be addicted to that. And I'm like, honey, <laughs> that was just the practice. For 2021, okay? I mean, this ain't got nothing on what we have to do. Uh, and so anyway, I had one, and it died, and uh, came back to life, because you could play with it again. And I had it in my mind, I don't know why, that after it dies three times, you know, your Tamagotchi, it was over. Like, you, they didn't, I guess you don't get, you're not trusted to keep it alive, because you keep killing the thing, I don't know. And so I still remember, I was about six years old, uh, in a, and I was in, sitting in our red minivan, we were going somewhere, or coming back from somewhere, and I had one of these in mind, was about to die, or had just died, and it was the third time that it died. And so I start crying, silently, obviously, because it's like, who would cry about this? Um, but I was like, I thought that it was over for me, right? But won't he do it? He came back to life, right? Number four, right? I could kill it again. It was so, I was so excited. I thought it was over, right? And so today, we're actually celebrating something that's much bigger than that, and it is the historical reality that Jesus rose from the dead. Let me be clear here. We do not uh, worship and follow Jesus because we feel bad and we want to have hope. Uh, we don't follow Jesus because we want to, uh, you know, make ourselves feel better or uh, kind of give ourselves some clout or any other reason, right? We follow Jesus because of the historical reality that he came, that God came in the form of a man, died a brutal death on our behalf gladly and willingly so that anyone who wants to receive the grace and mercy of God can be welcomed into God's kingdom, not because of you, because of him, right? If Jesus did not do this, then we're wasting our time. But if he did this, then it changes everything. And that is what we celebrate, not just today, but every day and every Sunday and every week that Jesus rose from the dead so that you and I could experience his grace, forgiveness, and mercy. And so this morning, we're going to spend a couple of minutes uh, in Hebrews chapter 12. And so if you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and flip there. If not, there's a black one around that you can read along. And if you do not own a Bible, you can say, one of those black ones home. It is our gift to you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12. Uh, let me give you some context before we read. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 comes after Hebrews chapter 11. Um, this is why New City pays me to figure out things like this. Uh, so it comes after Hebrews chapter 11, but written in the first century Roman Empire, Hebrews chapter 11 is, all, is talking about um, all of these great heroes of the faith. 
uh, some of the main, some of the big heroes, rather, in the Old Testament. Uh, some of them died brutal and horrific deaths because of their faithfulness. Uh, some of them were really faithful but didn't see the fruit of their faith in this life. Uh, but they continued on and they pressed on, uh, honoring God and loving people the way that He has asked us to do. And so it is in that context uh, that the writer then writes this in Hebrews chapter 12 to a persecuted, a struggling Christian group in the first century Roman Empire. Here's what he says, verse chapter 12, verse 1. He says, Therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Right, so again, this cloud of witnesses, he's talking about these heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11, who endured. And so as that is our example, let us run the race that God has for us in our life. Now, we know life is not easy. There's difficulties. There's hardships. Uh, even in this specific context, not only do they face the difficulties of life, but they have been facing some persecution for following Jesus and claiming he is Lord and not Caesar in the Roman Empire. So that was not going well for them. And so even though life is hard and sin can entrap us, entrap us we must endure. Now, this sounds like a good message, right? It's good for us to endure through the difficulties of life. The question, though, is how do you actually do it, right? How do you actually endure so that it's not just feel-good philosophy, but so that you can actually do it, right? Here's the answer, verse 2. Here's how we do it. By keeping our eyes on who? Keeping our eyes on who? Jesus. Jesus. Let's say it again like it's like celebratory, okay? Keeping our eyes on? Jesus. There we go. The source and the perfecter of our faith. So here's a hint. Here's how you do not endure. By trying really hard on your own. That's not how you do it. You don't try really hard on your own and then fail and then get frustrated. You do it by trusting in the one who's doing for you what you cannot do for yourself. It's kind of like maybe a kind of a light example of this is I cannot open up jars, like a glass jar with a metal top. If it's plastic, sure, but like, like a pickle jar or something like that, if it hasn't been opened yet, I cannot do it. And I know I cannot do it. And so if there's a jar in our house that Christina cannot open, it just sits there until somebody comes over. And there have been times, literally, where there will be a jar that she can't open. Obviously, I can't open it. And so she will, like, take it and walk past me and hand it to somebody. And they're always like, I'm happy to do this, but, like, that's kind of weird. Like, he's, you know, typically it's like, you know, you're not going to ask him to try. Like it's, like, it's like, I can't do it. Now, here's the thing. It don't bother me. Like, I don't get frustrated. I don't get upset. I don't even try because I know I can't do it. And here's what I think. Here's why I share this story. I wonder how, if you're a follower of Jesus, I wonder how much of your discouragement and my discouragement in our faith is because we get upset with our failings thinking that we can solve the problem. It's not just that we get upset or discouraged that we sin or fall short, but then we're like, I should do better. I should know better. I should try harder, right? And so some of our frustration and our discouragement is not just that we fall in, but it's that fact that we should be better. And the author of Hebrews is saying, that is not how this works. How you endure is not really trying and white-knuckling it. How you endure is dwelling with the peace and presence of God through Jesus and his Holy Spirit so that you can live a life of grace and honor and mercy towards others, right? How do we do this? By looking towards Jesus, who is the source and perfecter of our faith. Not you and your good works and you're really trying really hard or your income or your relationship status or your family or where you live. Jesus is the source and perfecter of our faith. Listen to me. Easter is the good news that it isn't up to you. 
right? It's not up to you. It's up to Jesus and what he has done on your behalf. And so when we fall short and we, when we fail or when we sin, we need to set our eyes on Jesus, not on our own efforts. We should have rhythms and practices in our life that set our eyes on Jesus and not our trying really hard because here's the reality of the situation. And we say this from time to time at New City. Here's what we know, that the strength of your faith is in the object of your faith. Here's what this means, right? If you want to endure, if you want to pursue something worth pursuing, if you want to know Jesus and experience God's love and grace in your life, it's not so much how much faith you have, but it's in the object of your faith and whether or not that thing can give you what you are hoping it gives you, right? Because if you trust in something, believe in something, and follow in something that can't do for you what you want it to do for you, it does not matter how much trust and faith you have in, in it. Right, so for example, uh, we have this six foot, when we moved into our house years ago, like the only thing that was left there from the previous owner was this six foot wooden ladder that is between approximately 20 and 30 years old. This thing is old and janky and it wobbles every time I get on top of it. In fact, I shared the story before. One time, like two years ago, I had come back from being out of town. It was like 11.30 at night and literally I got getting into bed and I hear this chirping noise and I'm like, oh, this is annoying. I got to change a fire detector. Well, in our little house, we have like this cathedral ceiling section. It's not that big, but there is this, uh, this smoke detector that's like 15 feet off the ground. And by, I'm like, this is not an exaggeration. It's the dumbest thing ever, right? And when you're like me and you don't have a ladder that can reach it and it's 1130 at night, you got a problem. So what do I do? I take our kitchen table put it under the fire detector, wake up Christina so she can hold this rickety thing, get to the very top of it, and like barely can reach the fire detector wondering if this is the end for me, right? Now, here's the thing. It does not matter how much trust and faith I have in this ladder. It's either going to hold me or it's not. And one of these days, it's not. Hopefully, it's, I buy a ladder before that actually happens. Like, that would be the solution to do it, right? But it does not matter how much faith I have in this ladder. If it's going to break, it is going to break. And so, yes, we need to have faith in the right thing, or you need to have faith in the right thing, but it better be in the right thing. Otherwise, it does not matter how much you put your faith into it because it will let you down. And here's the reality, Christian or not, if you believe in yourself, you will let you down. You'll lie to yourself. You'll justify things you shouldn't have done to make yourself feel better. You're, you're just broken and fallen like we all are, right? You will let yourself down. And so you and I need to trust in something that can do what we cannot do, but it better be strong enough. I like to think of it like this. When I was a kid, and maybe if you call New City Church home, you can help me with this mystery. We can talk about it after if you have any ideas. Uh, but when I was a kid, I lost a tooth. And uh, me and my older brother at the time, we had this idea. Like, I really wanted a Game Boy. This is when the Game Boys came out. I killed my Tamagotchi pet like 30 times at that point. So I was ready to move on to the next thing. Um, and a Game Boys came out. And so we had this idea. I'm going to write a letter to the Tooth Fairy and put it under my pillow saying, can you please give me a Game Boy? I thought this was ingenious. Like, I was going to wake up. I had rigged the system. Game Boy was coming to me tomorrow. Well, I wake up, look under the pillow. I see whatever the going rate for Tooth Fairy money, I don't know what it was at the time, and a letter with no Game Boy. The letter essentially said, Dear Dylan, if you want a Game Boy, you should save up your money so you can buy it. <laughs> right? Who does that? So just as a side note, if you happen to know who my Tooth Fairy was, we need to have words. Right? Because what happened? I trusted in something, someone, to do something that they clearly let me down in. Right, and so Easter is the reminder, the strength of your faith is in the object of the faith. You better trust in someone or something that can do for you what you, what you clearly cannot do for yourself. And that is what the author of Hebrews is encouraging us to do. So he says this again in verse 2. 
says, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith. For the what? What does it say? For the? All right, now let's say it like with actual joy, okay? For the? Joy. There we, there we go. It's Easter, y'all. Come on. For the joy that lay before him, Jesus, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So again, it sounds good that Jesus is the source and perfecter of our faith. The question is, how did he do that, or how is it so? The answer is by enduring the cross, taking our shame, and then ultimately defeating death on our behalf and sat down at the right hand of God. The sacrificial Israelite system was no longer needed because the final and perfect sacrifice has come. This is what Jesus did. And not only that, how did he do it? With joy. Right, the good news of the gospel is that God has done something for you and I that we could not do for ourselves. That Jesus stood in the place of Israel and their failings and falling shorts and your failings and my failings and falling short and gave us the grace and righteousness of God, not by our own efforts, but by trusting and believing in the redeeming power of Jesus' resurrection over sin and death. The gospel, as we say here at New City Church, that those of us who have placed our faith and trust in Jesus have nothing to prove and no one to impress. Because Jesus proved it on the cross, and God looks at us, if you are in Christ, the same way he looks at Jesus, as righteous, as holy, and set apart, as beautiful, as lovely, right? Not because of us, because of him. And so we have no one to impress because God loves us as we are in Christ. And he does this with joy. Put another way, right? Jesus stood in our place with joy. Jesus stood in your place not with obligation, not because, well, he had nothing better to do, not because he felt bad for you, but with joy, right? With joy and delight, he experienced the wrath of God on our behalf. A perfect and righteous God cannot act like our sinful actions do not matter. And so he deals with it through Jesus, who gladly submits his life so that you and I could experience the grace and forgiveness of God, right? This is why we sing, even in the midst of the pandemic, or even if you're like, I'm not sure about this Jesus thing, this church thing, I'm kind of new to it. We don't live in a singing culture, right? So that's kind of weird that we still do that here. The reason we sing is because we have something to express that sometimes is hard to express just with normal words, that God has done something so miraculous in our life that even in the midst of a pandemic and health situations and financial problems and relational strife, that we have hope and grace that this is not the end. With his delight that he gave his life for you, not out of obligation. And so we respond in joy because Jesus took our place with joy. It reminds me of this story, and what I'm about to say is 100% true. 100% true. This was probably about eight or nine years ago. I think Christina and I at the time were still living in Wilmington. And uh, on Facebook, I had this Facebook friend. I can't honestly remember really how we know each other or where we met, but that's kind of what Facebook friends are. Like they're just people you've seen somehow. I don't know. You walk by them and your phone's like telling Google, hey, they were like within 50 feet of each other, so let's make them be friends because we're just weird and we know what's happening to people's lives. Anyway, so we're Facebook friends, and it's Christmas Eve, and he drives by a very large church in Wilmington, and he basically writes a few sentences. Like, he wasn't ugly, but he's writing a few sentences about how grateful he is that he was not religious so that he didn't have to spend his day off there. Right? His thought was, like, the only reason you go to church on Christmas Eve when you have a day off and you can hang out or spend time with friends or family is because you're religious and, like, you have to do it. 
right? He's like, I'm so glad I don't have to be there because in his mind, nobody would be there because they actually wanted to, right? Which makes sense because if that's kind of your only idea about God is like, you better do it or else. Like, that doesn't sound like something that you want to do. So he drives by. He's like, I'm so glad I'm not there, you know? And I'm like, okay, that's interesting. Like, it's not a surprising assumption to have. Um, and then about, I don't know, five to six years after that, so maybe three to four years ago now, um, you know, the Facebook algorithm is reared because, you know, it only shows you some of your friends when they post things. And so it was Christmas Eve again. This is not a joke, 100% true. Christmas Eve again, I see his post. It shows up on my Facebook feed. And he says, he, he's posting about, it's about the same length. And I don't even think he remembered the first post, uh, you know, years before. And he's writing about how excited he is to serve at his church's Christmas Eve services. And I'm like, do you even remember right now? He's like, I don't know him. I'm not really friends in life at all. So I have no idea what happened in his life. But something within those next five years happened in his life where not only was he going to church on Christmas Eve, but he was serving and he was excited. And when you serve, it's like you're typically there for more than just a service, right? So now he's spending hours doing something that he could not have fathomed years ago right? It was awesome. Now, and I, I cannot remember, I wish I, you know, I mean, I wouldn't, didn't know at the time, I wish I maybe I'd screenshot the story or whatever, but I can't, I, so I don't want to say it's 100% true, uh, but if I, I, I do think, if I remember correctly, the church that he was talking about was actually the same church he was making fun of all those years earlier, right? <laughs> Jesus stood in your place with joy, and when you experience that, it changes everything, it's no longer obligation or I have to do it. It's like God has made a way for me to experience his grace and his mercy purely out of his love. And so we sing and we worship, not because of us, because of what he has done for us. Right? And so the author, the writer continues in verse 3 of Hebrews chapter 12 by saying this. For consider him, Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. Right, here's what we know. Life is hard, and sometimes faith does actually make it harder. Clearly in this situation, and although we're not living in first century Rome, if you've been following Jesus for a, a period of time in your life, you can probably, and this isn't like a persecution complex, but you can probably point to times in your life where your faith made things more difficult for you. You might have been ostracized because you wouldn't participate in some things that people around you were doing. Uh, maybe your company and sales goals and how things go, and they expect everybody to kind of fudge the lines a little bit, and you decided not to do it. Like, there are, you probably have some stories. If you've been following Jesus for a while, you have times where following Jesus actually made your life even more inconvenient. So that, plus just the difficulties of life, uh, they can be hard. And so the author of Hebrews here is, again, is telling us that we endure by reflecting and reorienting and remembering, our, remembering Christ and what he has done for us. Again, not our own self-effort here. It's reflecting, remembering, reorienting, spending time with Christ and dwelling with him so that he can impact how we love, right? That he loved us and he extended grace to us and he for extended forgiveness and mercy to us. And it is in his strength, not our own, that we do the same. It is in his strength, not our own, <clears throat> that we endure. And so it continues by saying this in verse 4. It says, In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addressed you as sons. And this is a quote from Proverbs. He says this, My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly, or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. And then verse 7, endure suffering as a discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? So again, these original readers were suffering because of their faith. 
There was difficulties in their life because they were following Jesus and what he has done for them. And so the author here quotes Proverbs and tells us that like a son from a parent, sometimes the trials that we are experiencing from God are God's desire for us to take steps of trust so that we may grow in our faith. Sometimes life is difficult and hard, and sometimes we're actually experiencing God's discipline and his grace in our life. He is allowing us or he's leading us through things to grow us closer to him. Now, of course, the question then becomes, how do we know the difference between being disciplined and just experiencing hardships, right? That is the question. Um, Now, all of my research, I would love to tell you that here's my answer. No idea, right? No idea. But here's what this shows us. Here is what this shows us. That difficulties in life does not mean that God has somehow abandoned you or does not love you. Or put another way, suffering does not indicate a lack of faith. Suffering does not indicate a lack of faith because clearly these believers are suffering because of their faith in Jesus, right? It's always kind of funny when people talk about, you know, being healthy, happy, and, health, and, and wealthy, and like following Jesus. Everything is good in your life. It's like we're celebrating the fact that Jesus was killed. Like God himself was killed. You want to talk about faithfulness, how did it go for him, right? If you want to talk about uh, the historical reliability of the resurrection, all of Jesus' disciples except for one, which tradition has it that he was tortured, alive, and survived, were killed not because they believed in Jesus, but because they claimed that they had seen him risen from the dead. All of them, right? They had all given their life for Jesus, and they had suffered, right? What's interesting, if you study the history of world religion, just as a side note, what you will find in every world religion is that after its founder dies, what happens? You have people come up, and they kind of battle for who's going to be in charge. And so you have, all, you have these, section, these, uh, these fractions and these sects kind of break off because there's a battle about who's going to be in charge here. What do you have when you look at the historicity of, of Christianity in the first century? The exact opposite. In fact, even in the New Testament, uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul himself talks about how there are some believers like um, uh, holding up Peter and some believers holding up Apollos and some believers holding up Paul. And Paul's like, what are you doing? We're worshiping Jesus. It's not about me or Paulus or Peter. It is about Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with being impacted and respecting and honoring people that have impacted your life, but that is not what's most important. Jesus is. And so suffering is not an indicator of lack of faith. Suffering and hardship does not mean that God is angry with you. It does not mean that he's getting back at you. Listen, God is the king of the universe. There's no reason for him to be passive-aggressive. Right? He's not scared of you. He doesn't need to get your attention for it. Like he is, he is totally fine on his own. If he wants to do something, he will do it. And it was his joy to save you and I also without any help from you. It's not like you were doing a really good job. And he's like, all right, Susie, you've been on a streak for a year. Now you can come in. Right? What does it say in Ephesians? That while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You did nothing right to earn God's love other than receive the grace that he so gladly, willingly gave to you. Right now, I want to be clear here that God will judge our sin. Those who have rejected Christ will experience the condemnation that comes by believing you can do life on your own. But here is what I would argue from the scriptures. Here's what I think we should understand and know, that if you're a follower of Jesus today, you need to know that Jesus loved you just as much before you started following him than after you started following him. Right? You didn't start following Jesus because God said, oh, you did good enough and so you can come in. While we were sinners, Christ gave his life for us and he's inviting us to taste and see the goodness that he offers. And so if life has been hard, which for many of us this past year, it has been hard in various ways. Suffering is not, does not indicate that you have been unfaithful or that you do not love Jesus. Sometimes suffering happens because God is allowing us to experience more of who he is. 
right? And so if you look down to verse 12, if we look down or scroll down just a little bit, again, the author of Hebrews is talking about enduring. And then here's what it says in verse 12 and 13. He says, therefore, because Christ has done all these things for us, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead, right? So let your, straight, your faith be strengthened by Christ and what he has done for you and not your self-effort and pursue holiness and peace and love towards others as a sign that you are a follower of Jesus. It's not a test or a litmus test of your salvation that you act a certain way and so it proves that you're saved. However, following Jesus is not something that you just say that you do and not actually do. Like that is completely, I would say, anti-biblical to what we see in Scripture. Following Jesus is not just something you say. It's not just a prayer you prayed when you were 10 years old and you were, you were good. No, if you actually experience God's grace, it will be reflective in how you live. Now, we all have different starting points and different backgrounds and experiences, so it's not like that everyone should be in the same place. Like if you've been following Jesus for five years, here's what it looks like in 10 years. That's not how it is. But if you have been following Jesus, he should be changing your heart in such a way that there is a difference in how you live. It looks different, again, not because of your effort, because of Jesus's, right? Or you could put it, another, put it this way, that holiness comes from Jesus, not before Jesus. Holiness means to be set apart. Holiness comes from Jesus, not before Jesus. In other words, it's not, especially if you've been with us as we've been going through the book of Exodus and we see how God rescues the Israelites and then he gives them the law. It's not because they acted up or acted a certain way and were faithful and then, no, they were broken, they were far and God rescued them. And then he showed them, what does it look like to experience my grace even more in my presence, right? So holiness or being set apart comes from following Jesus, not your self-effort or your self-will. It's reflecting or remembering the truth that he defeated death on our behalf, and he's inviting us into a relationship with him, and through his power and the Holy Spirit, that is how we love others, and that is how we endure. And so if you do not yet know Jesus, here's the invitation for you to know and experience him first. The invitation is not change what you wear or what you say or how you live or what you look like or what content you consume. That is not the first step. The first step is tasting and experiencing the Lord is good and allowing him to change your heart and your desire because you know that he loves you and that he cares. Not that he wants you to act a certain way and check a certain amount of boxes. That right now where you are, if you do not know Jesus, he's inviting you to experience the grace and mercy that he offers. And so to conclude verse chapter 12, the last thing we'll read in Hebrews, here's how the the chapter 12 ends. Again, the author of Hebrews is encouraging us to endure, to not reject Jesus because Jesus will not reject us. And then here's what it says, the last two verses of chapter 12, 28 and 29. It says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Right? In other words, we respond to God's grace and power with worship and how we live and what we do and what we say, not to earn something from God because we've experienced his goodness in our life. Why? Because what does the author say here? The kingdom of God cannot be shaken. In other words, we don't worship, we don't celebrate on Easter with, I hope this all works out. Like, I don't know, but I feel bad and I need someone to make me feel better when life is hard and so I guess I'll go to church. That's not what we're doing here. We're worshiping a God whose kingdom cannot be shaken, that death cannot hold us, hold him 
back that God is mighty to save, that he is powerful to redeem, and that is who we worship. And so we are invited into his kingdom that will always stand, and that one day when Jesus returns, all of us will experience perfection and love and grace and unity, not because of us, but because of him. It is God's grace in our lives that changes who we, how we live. It is God's grace and power in our lives that allows us to endure. And if you're focusing on yourself and your self-effort, you will always fail. But if you're relying on Jesus, he can pick you up, and that is how you endure. He changes how we live, not as a test of our salvation, because we've experienced his goodness, and we want other people to know the reality that he defeated death for them as well. And so I, I want to, what we're going to do now is we're going to share you, with you a video. If you've been with us, you know, in March, we collected uh, cans for the Raleigh Dream Center. It was founded in 2014, um, and they help uh, feed the hunger problem in Wake County and Raleigh. Uh, and what you'll hear in this video, uh, you'll see where your generosity went. And what you'll see is that they, this is Jeremy, who's the leader of this organization, has been changed by Jesus. What he is doing is not to earn God's favor or because he's trying to pay God back. What he's doing is that he's tasted and seen that God is good, and he's allowing that to help him endure and experience God's grace and spreading his love to others. So take a look at the screen. The Dream Center started in 2014, and at the time I was leading worship at a local church, and um, and through that, I, I had somebody reach out to me, um, which kind of surprised me because um, I was at an affluent church and just everything was going well. And, uh, and But she reached out and she said, I'm going to be homeless and um, I don't know what to do. God used that to get my attention that said, um, don't ignore the needs around you. Uh, and I prayed that prayer. It's a dangerous prayer um, <laughs> when you say, God, uh, open my eyes to see the need. And, uh, and he does. And, and I was humbled by it. I was broken um, through that. Just started prayer walking. Just started saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I do it? Um, and I just really grew in a, in, in a passion for the lost and for the hurting. Um, and I'll never forget pulling up in front of a, a hotel parking lot that was a beat up old hotel that was closed down. Um, but it was at that point where I just, um, just saw the Lord prompting me to start a dream center. God used that one circumstance to really shape me and to open my eyes. And that was the moment for me. It was February 17, 2014, that just rocked my world. And, um, and from there, we began making um, some steps towards uh, what does that mean and, and how do we shape our life to pursue what God's placed on our heart. Great, awesome. So. Yeah, so what does a typical week look like for you guys at the Dream Center? How do you guys kind of go into the community and really just you know love on the people that are around us? Yeah. Well, when we first started, um, what we did was we started taking groceries into a local community. Um, and it, it was kind of fascinating to me back in the time in 2014, um, because it was just through, as the Lord would lead, I met somebody living out of his car um, who was parked at his cousin's apartment. Uh, and we started taking food and just caring for the person God put in front of me. Mm -hmm. um, and through that, we started taking a, a trunk full of groceries. Uh, I would just fill up my car and we'd go out to these communities and um, and we started what we called an adopted block. And, um, and that's our second and fourth Saturday ministry, which we still do. Uh, that program's been going for seven years now. Uh, but I remember a, a missions pastor saying, Jeremy, you've unlocked something. Like, what, what's your secret? And I'm like, I, I don't know. It, it's not rocket science to love people. Uh, and it's just the willingness to go. Uh, and then over time, we've just served in more and more communities. You know, we started with one, and, and from there we've grown into a, a number of communities that God would, has, has led us to. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, so what, 
what has this past year looked like for you guys? I know that, you know, for just really our city and everybody's been hurting tremendously. So how has the Dream Center stepped in and really kind of met a lot of those needs? Friday, March 13th is when, the, what was the last day the Wake County School System met? And I remember as a parent getting a, an email from the school saying, your, your child is not gonna go to school for two weeks. There was something in me, I went to work on Monday uh, told our staff, I said, look, I don't know how we're going to do this or what we're going to do, but everybody's quarantined. Everybody has to stay home, which is a good thing for the pandemic side of it. But people are hurting. I want us to run to the fire and go feed people. These kids are not getting the free and reduced lunches. Uh, how can we bring the food to them? And I said, we're, we went from serving the second and fourth Saturdays. That was our pattern. I said, we're going to serve Monday through Friday, every day of the week. And that first week, we took school meals into these five communities that we were serving, mm -hmm. and we did 4,000 meals that first week. Um, and then the county got involved. They said, what's, what's going on here, uh, and can you go into more communities? Mm -hmm. And I said, I'd be willing to, but we're a gospel organization. We want to share our faith, and that's what drives us. And they're like, we don't care. We, we just want people to go feed. So how many communities can you do? Um, so I said, well, let's call local churches. Let's get them plugged in. And, and we started going to community after community. And within about six weeks, we went from serving, it was a seven communities, really. Uh, we went into 27 communities in the first, like, six weeks. Mm -hmm. And we were doing 30,000 meals a week. Uh, it was just ridiculous. But it was really the church just showing up in major ways in, throughout the county. Now we've, we've ended up, over the course of one year, we've touched 48 communities, um, and we've served 1.2 million meals in one year. Uh, and to us, that, that's the Lord. That's loaves and fishes. That's a trunk full of groceries to 100,000 meals a month. Uh, and and that's, that's the Lord's doing. Uh, and so it's because of local churches like you that step in, that say, hey, we want to do something. But we're, we're serious about reaching the community. And so it's it, that's the power of the local church. Yeah, that's incredible. So, Jeremy, why is this your problem? Well, I, I think, you know, it, more than it's my problem, I, I feel mm -hmm. like it's the believer's issue. Yeah. Um, when you look at the scripture and, and you see Jesus giving that example of, uh, I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Uh, it's really the believers who step back and say, well, when did we do that? It, mm -hmm. Well, that's in fact how a believer should live. That's in fact how a believer should operate. But I said, Lord, I want to pastor the gangbanger. I want to pastor the prostitute. I want to be a pastor to the, the hurting and broken, to the addicted. And, and all this list of people that came out of my mouth just was shocking to me. And I was broken and I cried. I, I wept over it. I wept mm -hmm. over our city and the, the, the destruction of darkness that's around us. And I just said, Lord, I don't know what one person can do, but I'm gonna say yes. And that simple yes um, changed my life. Mm -hmm. And it can change yours, it could change yeah. who, you know, whoever's listening to this, a simple yes to the Lord. Um, it's God that does the big things because he loves the hurting, he loves the homeless more than I do. Mm -hmm. And he sent his son to, to die for us even while we were in that sin, Romans 5, 8, that talks about that. Um, and, and so it, that's the heart behind, and it just came alive to me. Um, and, and I just said, Lord, use me. If, if, you, if you would use me, I'm, I'm available. Amen. <clears throat> so thank you for your generosity. In the coming weeks, we'll actually be sharing more about how we're partnering with the Dream Center. And here's what I want us to know. This is not that you... Following Jesus means that you need to quit your job and start a massive organization that feeds hundreds of thousands of people. Although maybe there is some, some of us that do need to take some steps. 
What it is is that when we experience that God has changed us, we take part in changing other people. So I want to end by reading to you Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The reason that we celebrate, the reason that we sing, the reason that we worship. But here's the reality of what Jesus accomplished on Easter morning. It says this in verse, two, verse 1. It says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world. You were dead. And dead people can't revive themselves, in case you weren't sure. In verse 2, uh, where is verse 2? Yeah, we previously lived according to the ways of the world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too, all of us, all previously, all followers of Jesus, previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and were by nature children of wrath, as also others were. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, you are saved by grace. So here's the reality. I don't know what you came in here with today, but I do know that all of us can celebrate. All of us were dead, but what does Jesus do? Jesus turns death into life. He turns pain into healing. He turns brokenness into hope. And so whatever you're clinging to, whatever you're walking with, the reality is to not focus on yourself and your self-reliance, but to look at the risen King who did for you and for me what we could not do for ourselves so that we could experience the grace and mercy of God. And so if you'll stand with me, we're going to sing and celebrate. Listen, we need two services this, this Sunday so that we can have the space to have a party. So we're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate.